welcome to Nikki Talks. I'm Nikki Rashawn Scholl, and Nikki Talks is a series of conversations with interesting people who live on Cape Ann. Um, and today, my guest is the endlessly interesting uh, Reverend Ann Deneen, who is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Lanesville, and a lot of other things, which we will explore in the next half hour. So, welcome, Ann. Thank you. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Yes. Um, I was listing some of the things that I associate you with, and you know, I kind of ran out of paper. There are so <laughs> many things. I was just it's the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. You're a community activist. You've been involved with the Grace Center from the start. You're a mother. You're a grandmother. You're a musician. You're a singer, and you're an artist. How is that sort of covered the yeah. waterfront? Yeah, it does. It does. That's good. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's other things. So I usually start by just asking, um, how did you end up in Gloucester? Like, how did you, how did you come how here? Did you come and here? how long have you been here? Well, I went to high school in Boxford, in Masconomet Regional High School. Yeah. And we used to drive over this way to Gloucester and Rockport because it was just such a fetching place, so yeah. wonderful, you know, yeah. go on the rocks. and. Um, so I've loved it for years and years and years, mm -hmm. and I ended up here because th there was a nice conjunction. I finished my preparation in, for um, becoming a pastor. This church here in Lanesville had been open, mm -hmm. and um, it was also the church that one of my colleagues, who was a dear, dear friend, served in 1967 to 1970. So the whole time I've, you know, been in the Lutheran Church, he and I are really close and he sponsored me for ordination, but he's been telling me about St. Paul oh. Lutheran Church in Lanesville and his adventures in Lanesville and the quarries and all the things oh. that people loved. And yeah. you know, the, some of the people are still there. Yeah, Because yeah. he, no, he started a youth, uh, young, a young adults group. Yeah. And those folks are now, the adults, they, they're, the, they, well, senior adults. the senior adults. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, isn't that great? That's so he really had been great. telling me about this place yeah. for years. And so it came up, and somewhere along the line, it just matched up like what mm -hmm. I had to offer them mm -hmm. is what they needed and mm -hmm. or were looking for. And um, it was a nice conjunction of, um, it's my, my theory is everything is woven, you know, of course, you know, I'm a, I would think that. Yes. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a really beautiful weaving together of things from yeah. his, his past, mine. Well, there I'd was a long-term pastor there, right? Yeah, um, there was for years. Maybe um, way back, I don't know. No, 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 Ralph Walter. He was there for 22 okay. years, so he oh, preceded okay. me. And then there was an interim, and it was during the interim period that they they formed their vision, and then um, the bishop puts names, gives them names, and mine was one. And uh -huh. um, they interviewed me, and there were a lot of beautiful things about it. Yeah. So, And how did you... Um, specifically come to um, the Lutheran religion? Oh. Like it, it w I felt at home. Up? I, I grew I, up Presbyterian. Okay. I love liturgy. I love the, the beauty of liturgy and the, and by that I mean just the, the ceremonial piece, yeah. partly because it doesn't have words. Mm -hmm. You know, it's action. So mm -hmm. I love I love the action of communion every week, mm -hmm. and um, I love my tradition too. My grandfather was a, a Presbyterian pastor. 
And we currently have five pastors in our family. Three of oh. them are Presbyterian and two of them are Lutheran. One of them's my daughter. Right. So there's two generations right now. So we, it's oh. a really beautiful kind of thing in our family. Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of ministerial discussions and the people on my mother's side anyway are very involved in church and what's have the, been. What's the um, like primary difference between Presbyterian and Lutheran, um, would you say? I would say the, the way the way it developed, Presbyterianism, um, well, Calvin was one of Luther's students, mm -hmm. and it just developed a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I would say for me, in terms of a f feeling, mm -hmm. I wanted, a, um, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to be close to communion mm -hmm. and um, I think Presbyterians now serve communion every week, but at the time I was growing up, they didn't. Mm. And the Lutheran Church was closer liturgically to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. without getting into a big theological discussion yeah. about the nu <laughs> nuances, yeah, but no, I'm sure. I feel very at home in both places. Uh -huh. I do. Uh -huh. I feel very at home in both places. Um, it's interesting because I had a, a really, I may have shared this with you, a fascinating conversation with my daughter about communion. Oh, yeah. And she sort of gave it this broader mm. context, which I didn't really quite understand, but I'm sort of understanding it more now that it that's so much a part of um, being in a beloved community yes. and sharing it's about, that experience. Yes, you're sharing yeah. a life together. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's a life of... Um, you're taking a meal together. You're yeah. being you're being knit together in right. this way. Yeah, right. it's very beautiful. Yeah, I love communion. Yeah, hard to describe in words. It is hard to describe. Yeah. In words. That was really helpful for me to understand. Yeah, great. Energy. Well, thank you, Josie. Yeah, if you're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that you're also um, studying too, or or in some kind of a uh, to be a chaplaincy. Chaplain. Well, I'm all along. I have been interested in refining skills, and yeah. so all ordained ministers in the Lutheran Church that I serve, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, we all are required to take a unit, which is um, 400 hours of mm. clinical work um, mm. in a setting with supervision and group uh, process. and teaching, you know, didactic presentations on various aspects of pastoral care. So it's an intensive kind of clinical, I'm sure you had to do that for social work. Yeah, it's yeah. Very, very much like that. Yeah. So you're in a hospital or you might be in a different setting. You might be in a nursing home or some other setting, but you have supervision over your practice. You write up verbatims, you write out conversations. Mm -hmm. The goal is to become really aware of your own, who you are, in any pastoral exchange and what are the needs, what, what's the appropriate response. You do some assessment, like you'll think really hard about, like when you go in, you're trained to really look at the room, see what's there, see mm -hmm. who's there, who's not there, mm -hmm. see how the light is, see mm -hmm. all of this contributes to how you make an assessment about, you know, how you serve someone. And that a, setting would be um, like could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. It could be a medical setting. It yeah. could be a home. It could be. But it w would all yeah. be a care facility. Um, it depends. Oh, I mean, okay. I my my site was Grace Center, you know, yeah, and hospital yeah, yeah. and the hospital Beverly Hospital, yeah. and at least for now, and the the other sites where I've had training was Emerson Hospital, and then yeah. a year at Mass General, 
and then here. And the thing that was great is in all these programs, I was able to do it concurrently while being a pastor because it's yeah. education around the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And um, and they would use you know the, the, my own my own congregation is a setting where I'm giving pastoral care. So mm -hmm. I I work on you know it's a lot about developing presence, not being defensive, being a non-anxious mm -hmm. presence, knowing your own mm -hmm. needs, knowing how to set them aside, <coughs> knowing how to not get overwhelmed with um, people's sorrows. I mean compassion yeah, yeah. fatigue and burnout. Yes. To prevent yes. those, I know you know about this as I a do. social worker. So it's a beautiful kind of training, yeah. and the reason I wanted to do it is if, if I if I wanted, to, I've, I, it's been a long term kind of long range goal about becoming a licensed chaplain, which means it's a, it's a credential thing. <coughs> you don't Excuse need me. it actually to serve as a chaplain. Um, the license. The license. Mm -hmm. Lots of people are chaplains who are ordained. They'll go and they'll have some CP clinical pastoral education, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they'll and it also uses the thing I like about it, Nikki. Is, you know, we've talked about this because you're a teacher too. The, it's a kind of action reflection. So you you have an action, you yes, reflect on it, like then you come back. It's a praxis mm -hmm. praxis um, mm -hmm. theory oriented. So it's that circle of <coughs> of um, you know consideration. You're always learning, right? Yeah. And churches are like that. Churches yeah. are always learning how to be church. And yep. hospitals, healthcare, we're always learning from the institution and all the things. So. On an individual level, it's about really attending to your own practice and to be more mm. effective at service. Mm -hmm. And I really think about it in, in um, kind of directly related to sort of the American way of dying, you know, and the, the separation from, uh, you know, the spiritual aspect of coming to the end of your life that it's part of your life, you know, that you- It's part of your life. As right. opposed to all the beeping machines and, right. the, you know, and the, and the right. separation from the- right that the role of the chaplain would be really key in that. Yeah, and a chaplain's, um, you know, they're, it's, I think the language is changing up partly too. Yeah. It's starting to be called spiritual care. Oh. And this is a response to um, uh, people associating chaplaincy with um, particular, you know, religious orientation. But many, many people that we serve now, whether you're a pastor or not, in the hospital or not, or yeah. Grace Center or not, are people who are not affiliated at all with a religious with tradition. Religion. Yeah, yeah. You know, that they, or they were as children and they aren't anymore, yep. or they were in one tradition and they're exploring another. So you have to yeah. have a lot of versatility. So spiritual care, it's starting to be called spiritual caregiving. Yeah, really because that's yeah. part of us, you know, yeah. part of our health. And it's also yeah, changing it in healthcare is. to do more research around spiritual care. Does it make a difference in people's lives? Does it actually help you bear an illness? And it turns out it does. Yes. And I mean, I'm not surprised about that. Yeah. Well, and you know this because as a social worker, so you're with people making meaning of whatever the experience yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. Right? As a therapist. Absolutely. So you have to make meaning of these horrendous situations. Yes. Yeah. And um, bringing those to language is part of the work of spiritual care. And then trusting that every person, as I, I mean, this is an assumption I make whether it's true or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's the assumption of spiritual care is that we have the capacity to make meaning from our, from, from our lives and that we have a spiritual life. You know, for whatever the word spirit means, a whole is right. holistic, the capacity right. to love, the capacity for relationship, the capacity right. um, for compassion, Yeah. you know. And I think about, and uh, this is so interesting to me, which is why we're still talking about <laughs> it, but I think about the um, just, you know, the idea of Jesus as a healer in Jesus that particular a healer. capacity yes. of being able to be present with people 
who may have nothing in common right. at all right. except your humanity. Exactly. And in this case, you know, perhaps the end of life or, mm -hmm. you know, a serious medical diagnosis. Right. And you have all the players in the room and all right. their lives and all their yes. interconnections. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, really it's really beautiful work. Like, yeah. I love pastoral care. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, you, I don't think, like, a lot of people like different things about being a pastor. Um, I like the worship. I love the yeah. worship. I yeah. love the pastoral care. I love the teaching part of it. Yeah. I love the families. Yeah. I like the intergenerational piece of it. Yeah. Like, you've got people across the whole lifespan. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be, be, we're going to have confirmation soon for a group of girls that I've known since before they were born, you know, <laughs> so their families. Yeah. You know, it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. It I mean, is, just being really with is. families in that way, we being need with it people. So much. We need yeah. it more, and more, I think. And I think the other piece that I love about um, at least our church is pretty stable, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, of life. Okay. It's just yeah. kind of there. Yep. And it's a very beautiful place to come and be refreshed. Yeah, and yeah, it's very steady, mm -hmm. and um, that's one of the things I love about serving on Cape Ann because I think all of the religious communities are like that. Like, you know, the temple's long, long time yeah. place. Yeah. The other churches have been there, and there's a there's a, a kind of rootedness that's important in yeah. such a rootless time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I appreciate that. To me. Yeah. yeah. Watering so, holes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so how do you um, do you, do you identify, self-identify as a feminist? And oh, yeah, so how absolutely. Do you, how do you bring that into all of this that we're talking about? Well, I was lucky to have great teachers. Mm -hmm. And um, to, so part of, part of feminist understanding, at least in theology, is again, you're looking for the voices that you don't hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of all a part of liberation theology. Yes, who's yes. excluded? Right. Who's telling the story? Who's, who has the power in the room structurally? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece of it. And that's also a piece of pastoral care. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Because when you're in a room with a sick person, right. there's other things going on yeah. as well. Race, you might not class, know about education, right. Right. Um, right. social location, all of that. And that's part, partly the gift of feminist theology. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, just I'm I'm aware every day that I'm a woman in a profession where people have only been ordained as women for since 1975 right. in my church. Right now, other churches have had longer women. Yep. You yep. know, like the I think the Quakers did it. You know, when they were ordaining. And um, I don't know when yeah. they started ordaining yeah. women. We'd have to ask. I wonder what the gender balance is in in divinity schools. Um, it's now schools. much more, much more equal. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is much more it's equal. Yeah. It's still, I, I, you know, I us usually can remember the percentages within our church, but there's many more women, women, and we have a women, a woman presiding bishop now. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. keep waiting for, um, you know, my, I, I know as a feminist, like when I'm doing exegesis of a piece of scripture or reading, or planning, I'm going to think about all of those things. What's the woman's role in this? Yeah. Um, who's, yeah. who's, what happens to the scripture? Like we had the parable of the prodigal son last week. Mm -hmm. So there's a way of reading that, calling it the parable of the absent mother. There's no mother mm -hmm. in that story. Mm -hmm. Like, where's that mother? Yeah. I want yeah. to know. Yeah. You know, and so then yeah. you begin to do midrash on it and interpretation and think about why is she not there? How's the story changed if you change the gender? How has it changed if a mother and two has two daughters and one yeah, daughter okay. goes yeah. off? 
and right. one daughter stays home. And goodness knows, we actually have these sure. experiences. So you just used two words, though. What was the last word you just used? It? Exegesis. And then the one after that. So I don't a... remember. <laughs> I thought, what exegesis. Does that mean? Oh, midrash and exegesis. Yeah. Yes. Okay, exegesis is when you take a scripture, a piece of scripture apart. Any, any. It's a close reading of any, and you, okay. and you do that of anything. Um, but when in in um, religious study, it's when you're working with scripture, you're looking at all different aspects of it. You're doing a translation yeah. of it. You're looking <laughs> at the original language all the nuances of the words, you're, and you work with other commentaries on it. Um, you work with your own experience of it. So it's, it's really yeah. engaging. Yeah. You know, it's like literature study. Yeah. I mean, Josie right. would, Josie right. would right. I mean, it's the same thing with, if you're looking at a passage. Yeah. Um, and um, so you're just, you know, unfolding it. Yeah. And then midrash is a Jewish or a Hebrew word for um, working with the imagination, kind of, um, the rabbi says, reading between, you're reading between the lines. What's in, and so there's all these oral interpretations of these mm -hmm. stories, oral, mm -hmm. oral um, things that get told. So yeah. for, for, and I used one of those on Sunday um, from the, from the um, Midrashic tradition on that uh, similar story to the parable of the mm -hmm. prodigal son. It's mm -hmm. another story out there. Lots of other stories out there mm -hmm. that Jesus would have known. Yeah, because he's yeah. Jewish. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody forgets yeah. that. He does forget <laughs> that. He really is not a Christian at all. Yeah, with the you know? long hair. So, and I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are yeah, they're stuck Jew. there. Yeah, yeah. So that leads me to one of my questions, which yeah. is that I know that you're married to a Jewish man. Yes, I am. So um, it's, I think it's interesting to think about, or at least talk for a couple yeah. minutes about how you bring those two traditions together you know, both in your work life and in your personal life. Like, how does, how does that, you know, the tradition of the, the temple and everything that happens there yeah. and, and the, the holidays and... Well, for me, it's very creative. Like, yeah. they feed each other. Mm -hmm. So, for, in terms of how um, everything that I understand, I mean, all of the, the New Testament is dependent on the Jewish scriptures. Yeah. The early church was the Jewish church. There's a yeah. lots of um, comment, commentary in the writings. There's all kinds of wonderful back and forth things. Everybody who's writing those letters, Paul, St. Paul, for example, he's a, a, a Jewish teacher. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a Jewish teacher. They're mm -hmm. using their tradition um, to talk about what's happening. So, so for me, it feels very familiar ground. And... When I go to temple to a service, yeah. the scriptures there are very familiar to me. It's a different context, but I see the relationship, you know, even between liturgy. This Christian liturgy, of course, comes out of Jewish liturgy. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. bread and the wine come out of the Jewish um, rites, you know, and the yeah. reading yeah. of publicly reading scripture comes from um, Jewish, Jewish history and Jewish liturgy mm -hmm. and the, you know, the practice of reading scripture out loud to the people that's yeah. inherited you know so yeah. almost everything we do rests on connects back connects back yeah. so it feels like a beautiful cloth to me yeah and i keep using the word weaving it's yeah. just yeah so and like it's kind of cross cr there's a, a great um you know cross pollination for me anyway when i and i i will go to torah study on thursdays Oh. With the rabbi, he's got a wonderful Torah study. Lots of people from, 
from the temple go and other people in the community go because it's just marvelous. And oh. um, that's on Thursdays. I, I would love to go to that myself. Yeah, you, I, call them and go and you don't sometime. have to be a, a member at the temple. No, you do not. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Willie wow. goes, you know, That's lots of people go. Alan goes, all these yeah. people. I didn't mean to no, use no okay. personal names. <laughs> no, it's <But> all right. <laughs> Local TV. Local it's okay. TV. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's That's, really, yeah. so the cross, the, the, the creativity is wonderful, and the, the collaboration is wonderful. And um, it's, I, f I really love being part of the two communities. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's so rich. It is rich. Yeah. We have a lot of festivals in our family. We have many festivals. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so. that's pretty great. It is. Um, and I wanted to, something I don't, I also don't totally know anything about, which is the icon painting. Oh, yeah. So can you tell me even what that is or, or sure. why you do it or who you do it with? Or? Sure. Yeah. Sure. So iconography is a way of representing um, saints it starts off as kind of a representation of of holy beings not to worship but to kind of venerate and uh -huh. the word iconography is a writing it means to write mm -hmm. so you write an icon an icon means image what's seen so you write this icon and it starts um, it has a long history in the church mm. And St. Luke is supposed to have been in the tradition, the first iconographer who mm. represented Mary and Jesus from life. So that's the story, one of the stories that gets handed down. Oh. <laughs> and the earliest icons are of um, Jesus, Mary, um, the, the, whole, the Madonna and Child, and they uh, proliferate in Eastern Christianity, mm. not so much in the Western church. Mm -hmm. And there's a kind of re resurgence of interest and excitement about iconography as it's come huh. from the East to, to us. And there, um, there's, it's a, a form of devotion. Mm -hmm. So in an Orthodox home, you would have um, icons for, you know, the family icons, and it's a kind of for a place of prayer and devotion. And the idea is that an icon is a window to the divine. So somehow in an icon, you get in touch with, both as you're making the icon, mm -hmm. writing the icon, but then just gazing at it, mm -hmm. some kind of truth comes comes through. So icons so are also depicting the life of Jesus. <clears throat> so if you go into an Orthodox church, you'll see something called an iconostasis, which is a huge and beautiful uh, panel um, uh, in, the in, in the nave separating the place where you're sitting and the altar. There's this gorgeous pieces of, of work uh, depicting the lives of Jesus, maybe the life of some saint that the church might be named after there right. might be the benefactors might be painted in there somewhere as as devoted oh. people yeah. but but the idea is to um, somehow make a connection with the person you are you are writing the icon you are writing yeah. so if you were doing like we did the most recent I so I I learned this I learned this from a woman who 
lived in Newburyport, who's a wonderful iconographer. Her name is Rebecca Taylor Peeves, and she was giving classes. There's a bunch of people on Cape Ann who had taken classes with her, too, That's which great. I found out later when I moved wow. here. But um, <clears throat> she would teach them in her home, and she was trained by an Orthodox person in, the, uh, in Pennsylvania. It's like an oral tradition in some mm -hmm. ways. It's mm -hmm. handed down. You can learn to do icons from books and YouTube and all these things now. But when she was teaching me, she made a really clear point that this is handed on from teacher to student, from teacher to student. Yeah. And then, so I started teaching it, yeah. and the yeah. first person I taught was a really, really dear friend who sadly has since died of brain cancer. Mm -hmm. But we sat, and I, I taught her, and mm -hmm. then we started, um, I would teach maybe one or two other people, but she wanted to do a class together, and we started teaching a class every year. At okay. a Lutheran camp for a week, okay. yeah, and we have six, six to bit. ten students. So each each year we do a different icon. And this year I did an icon based on Walker, one of um, Walker Hancock's sculptures called. Um, for me, I call it the Good Shepherd, but it's a, a boy yeah. holding a sheep. And the yeah. statue oh, is yeah. in yeah. Walker Hancock's studio, and I happened to be in there one day. Um, oh, that's well, perfect. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, and I really saw this beautiful, beautiful sculpture, mm -hmm. and um, the Good Shepherd is one of the images of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Lord is my shepherd, mm -hmm. I shall not want, so he's carrying a little lamb. Are we almost done? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we did that. So we adapted a sculpture with Deanie's permission. Yeah. We got her permission to do it. And Deanie Hancock, for people who don't know, is his daughter. Deanie yes. French yes. is Walker Hancock's daughter, yes. and she is charge of his. Um, whatever that is, yeah. in her estate. And yeah. uh, she gave me permission to adapt it, and she had done a drawing of it herself. So How we made wonderful. this beautiful icon of the Good Shepherd that has everything about our life on Cape Ann yeah. in and it. And that connection. It's just so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, so it does, oh, so yeah, I'll show it to you. Yeah. I should have brought it with me. But yeah. even the rocks look like little rocks from down in the quarry. Oh, like everybody else's rocks looked normal, but mine were quarry yeah, rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yours so, were Lanesville rocks. Yeah, so. I love that. Yeah. Hey, let me see. We are almost out of time. I'm never going to be able to ask you all these questions. But I think I usually ask at the very end, um, a question, kind of a, a closure question about um, what you, from your perspective, what you feel um, is an important thing for people to understand about how we live to get today, um, you know, with, within our circumstances, which are difficult mm -hmm. right now, for certainly, and how we bring compassion to each other and unity. And what would you say to help people understand that and why? that's an imperative so it's what I do for a living yes <laughs> that's right <laughs> it is. I'm very lucky to just have that as my calling yeah so, so you get to do it 24 I do 24 7 yeah. so my my image that I'm working on is beloved community yeah and I think that's what we're all called to it doesn't matter so what religion what we are, and I will tell you what that is for me as I understand it it is uh, both in the microcosm and the macrocosm, a society committed to compassionate and humane and just relationships across the board to the planet, to individuals, mm -hmm. to communities. And I, I, had, I did a sabbatical um, in 2017, and I visited intentional communities with an mm -hmm. idea about people who were intentionally really working on being beloved community. And I have never, I wanted to come home and tell the mayor all about this. Because I think Safathia gets it. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that I she knows what community yep. is, and the reason I love living on Cape Ann is because I think we get it here. Yeah. I think Gloucester gets it, and I think people here I work for it. That. The commission yeah. is about the commission yep. for the prevention of domestic violence, yes. the coalition, I mean, yeah. not the commission, but yeah. the coalition yeah. is about that. It is. It um, is. The immigration work is about right everything about that. that we the do here. The Grace Center is about that. But mm -hmm. And beloved community isn't like rocket science. It's, you know, the Dalai Lama says my religious is, religion is kindness. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's really thinking about those interactions. Mm -hmm. So you asked about chaplaincy. To yes. me, that's one of the ways I train myself to compassion. Because mm -hmm. we can want to feel it, we can have empathy, but sometimes we need to train ourselves to compassionate relationships. And, and those, be in it. When we're in it, and yeah. those include justice, yeah. which brings in the yeah. feminist piece, which Absolutely. is who's not here, who's not at yeah. the table, who should be at the table, and why are they not here, and how do we get them at the table, or yeah. how do we take the table to them. I'm going to a reunion of people I was in jail with. In oh, good, good for you! Yay! <laughs> protesting the Vietnam <laughs> there War. There you go. <laughs> and I was remembering that um, people referred to me and they said, "Well, she's not political. What is she doing? You know, demonstrating." But it was about those things. That's yeah, it's it was about, about beloved, compassion yeah. and beloved community yeah. and justice and kindness. Right. And you know, I mean, I know that the the phrase wasn't popular in the way that it is now because of Martin Luther King. Yeah. Junior's work, he used that as an image, yeah. but yeah. it's really in the mainstream now, and I'm so excited about that. Yeah, that's really like nice. Like people, I mean, in 50 years, beloved community, like you hear it all the time. Yes, you Like hear it was now. in the news, it was in the New York Times yes, and essays. Yes. I mean, you yeah. just see it out there. So Very it's encouraging. It's kind of a dream. It's kind of a dream. It is. And yeah. for me, it's a translation of what Jesus means when he talks about the reign of God. Mm -hmm. Well, we are out of time. Yeah. So thank, <laughs> thank you, you so much. <laughs>